stop mo. Hello, stop mo. Hello, stop mo. Welcome to Hello, Stop Mo, an educational limited series created and hosted by me, Alexis Dupre, and me, Casey Folan. We are here to empower you with introductory knowledge of the stop motion industry to help reduce barriers of entry for newcomers, as well as demystify how to navigate this career. This podcast is made in partnership with Animation Wildcard and the Ink and Paint Folk podcast. Huzzah! Hello, stop mo. Hello, stop mo. This episode of Hello, Stop Mo begins our pipeline deep dive, where we talk all about the potential steps in a stop motion project, as well as all the different departments and roles that execute each step of that pipeline in a studio environment. First, we'll get started with pre-production, which is generally everything you do before you get started shooting animation frames. Mm -hmm. And Cassie, feel free to chime in with any questions about anything or anything we might be missing as we go through. You got it. (laughs) Thank you. Yay. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, I think diving right in, I think it's best to assume that your project is already greenlit when we're talking about the pipeline. (laughs) I think that's a good plan. Yeah. But the process kind of before you're able to make the thing is called development. And that encompasses a lot of things for um, show creators. But I think we're assuming that we've already got the green light, whether we're making a short or something commercial or episodic or feature. Ready to go. But yeah, I mean, I think you usually would start off in script writing, which could be, you know, writing an outline or writing a script and developing your story. And sometimes that requires a writing room. And sometimes... Mm -hmm. It's more like storyboards if it's nonverbal. Yeah, I mean, I think, and this is just me knowing a little bit about like the typical 2D pipeline is this kind of like is a divergent spot as far as if when we're getting into storyboarding, Mm -hmm. if the show is script driven or outline driven and that affects the storyboarding process. So if you're script driven, then the storyboard artists are, you know, drawing panels based on the script and they're not having to add a lot as far as writing. Like they can offer suggestions depending on the show, but it's kind of it's all there and they need to like make a visual version of it. It's like basically following director's notes about action and timing versus like outline driven, which is really you know what it sounds like. So they're given like the framework, but there's a lot more, you know, room for interpretation in there. And there's a lot of you know, writing involved with the process of storyboarding. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that just depending on the show, you need to to know ahead of time because story will take longer if it's not script driven and if it is Um, outline driven. I don't think I've ever worked on anything that isn't script driven for stop motion. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the time for stop motion, especially when people like you and me start getting involved is at the script phase, either it's at the script phase or it's at the production phase. Mm. So like, whatever people hired you to make their show have already written the show. (laughs) True, true. But I feel like, you know, on some productions, I've had the ability as like a production designer to be able to step in at the script phase and like help simplify things. So that way we're not overbuilding assets or we're clarifying things because the naming conventions are like, oh, they've named the same location three different things and we're all getting confused. Like, yeah, that's that really helpful. And that's a good point too, is that if you are writing something for stop motion, it's good to be thinking about the medium as you're writing, which I know is kind of backwards because you don't want mm. a medium to define the story. But if you're set on it being stop motion, it's like, 
super helpful as far as and this is budget dependent too but like mm-hmm. maybe not writing in like a montage sequence <laughs> in locations where they're specific well or in locations <laughs> that don't exist anywhere else in your story true true because then your art department is like oh no I, th- I think it's sort of like writing for a sitcom in some ways because like even when I'm thinking about like you know building for stop motion sometimes it's like oh I need to keep this contained we do not see an entire world outside of this place so that kind of I think is a good way of thinking about it from a script perspective as well because if it gets too expansive you're gonna hemorrhage money real quick and then you know you're not gonna be able to put all that effort into other things too. And there's a lot of effort to come. We haven't even touched this pipeline yet. Yeah, we're like literally step one. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a live action mindset when you had to have like a location scout and then you'd have mm-hmm. to like move your crew around. It's kind of like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Except you have to make every location. Just saying that. Yeah, you're not going to go to the prop house and be like, I would like. Not really. I mean, it was nice, you know, when working at a big studio that had a library of assets, you could do that a little bit. And that Mm -hmm. did help in terms of, you know, keeping that budget in line and also having a wide range of things. Mm -hmm. But when you are making something that's stylistically different than other things or you know, just completely brand new and you don't have any assets, like this is where you want to think about how much stuff you want to make. (laughs) Totally. And that's like bigger picture. There are benefits down the line of something episodic that you kind of come back to these different locations and you also have the same like visual language so that you can go back to the library and, you know, all the doors are the right size or something. Oh my gosh. Yes. But there's also a danger in that if it's not episodic and you are in a big shop that has a library, you kind of can be pulling from assets that exist from other things. So then it's like more of a house style Mm -hmm. versus like a show driven style. And when I say show, I really mean anything Mm -hmm. like Like a specific IP or something. Yeah. Yeah. An IP just being intellectual property. Ah, good breakdown, Casey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think kind of along the lines when you're in the story phase, um, you'd be developing some kind of concept art. So you can just get a feel for what this is going to look like Mm -hmm. before you're getting into like deep into design. You just want to have a little bit of a roadmap worked out. But not to be confused with your actual designs, which come later. Yeah, later. Now you're just answering answering your own questions. So Mm -hmm. just chiming in here, because I'm curious, because having worked on 2D and 3D shows, Um, Sometimes design and storyboard are happening simultaneously. So when a storyboard artist, you know, is drawing, do they have to take into consideration the plans for how a puppet moves? A bit. Sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it's helpful to think about more like the the language of your show. Like Mm. if you're going to have a puppet flying around. Like literally flying? Yeah. Like it matters. It changes how you shoot it. Sure. And so maybe, you know, maybe you're on a superhero show and that makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know, but if it's sometimes if it's not necessary and this can also happen in like board revisions or something so that you're not impeding your, you know, creative storytelling when you're in the flow state. But I also think about that as like it's really wonderful when, you know, boards go into revisions or when they get to the different departments once boards are locked or sorry, once the animatic is locked, which we'll talk about in a minute. Story artists that have spatial awareness, it's amazing because it's so important to know where you are 
when you're in fabrication and then once you're on stage. So if that's already sorted out and clear in the boards, it's like super helpful versus having, you know, these looser backgrounds. My favorite part of the design phase actually does sort of happen around script and story phase, which is literally just overhead maps. And that way the storyboard artists and the director and the designer get together and get to talk about like, hey, where are the doors and windows? Where does this character have to walk through? Are we outside? Where is the where like the hero tree or the lake or whatever that needs to happen in the set? So that way, like your designers are already thinking about like where the tables have to come apart in case like it needs to be a really big set and eventually at some point someone needs to get really you know, farther back in space or just knowing where the action is and what the paths are. And when Lex, when you say tables, you mean like animation tables. So it's animation kind of what, tables, yes. what your set is on versus like, you know, a breakaway prop table. Right. I mean, well, we can talk about that in much more detail too, but you know. Oh man. Yeah. We get, there's so many rabbit holes. Yes. Okay. But yeah, I mean, after story would be animatic Mm -hmm. so that's like a timed version of your storyboards and hopefully that will fall on an animatic editor or an editor no it will (laughs) (laughs) unless it's just you in which case uh, it's just you it's all you animatic yeah and that'll help um that'll go to stages that'll that impacts a lot of things it's not a step that you want to skip even if Mm -mm. it is a short because it'll define, you know, how many seconds is this on stage or that will define how much time gets put into different props or environments or you know it'll also define how many of a certain character's puppet you have so how many duplicates you make it's all based on time Mm -hmm. screen time right and it also you know this is when you also want to start planning you know how you're going to shoot this thing too is once you have your animatic for all of those purposes yeah every department will have to pick it apart (laughs) oh yes to 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 sort out how they're going to do the thing (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's also like this previs stage that can kind of happen. It just depends. What do you mean by previs, Casey? What do I mean by previs? Well, previs is short for pre visualization, mm-hmm. which is doesn't usually happen in stop motion, but sometimes it does. And it's really helpful if it does. So if you have stop motion characters interacting with like real world. So a good example I always use is like if you're doing a car commercial and it needs to be really tight. Or if you're somehow going to be integrating it with 3D environment, you can do a previs blocking pass and that will answer a lot of the questions. If it needs to be really tight, so like if you need to know your lenses ahead of time and how that affects like the physics of how that affects the space and what you're building, previs is amazing. Also, if you have like a client that is used to working in CG, it's so helpful to do a previs pass. So it's just another version of your animatic and it's kind of like... (laughs) this like lo-fi CG, but it answers a lot of questions early on. Mm -hmm. Especially if you have something like a camera move also. And Mm -hmm. if you're going to use something like motion control, because you can actually pre-visualize your motion arcs and also just how much space you need for that set. Like, you know, I did one once that it was kind of like a zigzag set because we were coming over a hill and across to the side and then up and forward and out. And so, you know, I gave a rough overhead of a couple of tables put together in like a shape of a Z. And then that helped the 3D modeler come up with that space. And then 
that camera move. And then we figured out, oh, wait, we actually don't have that much time to make it from point A to point B. So those tables actually have to be smaller. The space actually has to be a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. And that actually told me how big those tables needed to be and just how much stuff I needed to fill in that space too. Totally. That's such a much better way of explaining it than me being like, it answers the physics questions. Like, because <laughs> there's a lot of math that goes from- There is a lot of math. This is how far away you are from the camera. This is what lens, this mm-hmm. is the move. And then like, how big is the thing that you make? So that's another step that can happen after animatics for sure. Mm-hmm. And definitely that was also for a commercial. So it's like, I feel like that stuff- sometimes gets worked out on the fly, especially in like episodic stuff. But in like commercial and feature, it's like really dialed in ahead of time, I think. Yeah, it'll be like a foam core mock-up and like Mm -hmm. whatever person holding a camera and you, you know, you have more room to adjust that move on stage versus it needing to be exact. Yep. I mean, part of the animatic process would be the voiceover records if you have dialogue. Mm -hmm. That is huge for stop motion is getting the actual voiceover recordings into the animatic before animation. Why is that, Casey? Not to say it doesn't happen. Oh, oh, I know. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not salty about it at all. But it's like, (laughs) you know, any other... I feel like form of animation might not have this problem. But yeah, we you you really need it for the performance to read because your animators are actors mm-hmm. d- basically dubbing their puppet to the voiceover. So if the VO changes after animation, you can tell. Yeah, you can. Um, it's just not as good. It's not as and good. And even though, you know, a lot of times, you know, we've worked at studios that have used digital mouths in some capacity, whether they looked like a sticker or if they looked like a 3D model that was then really done a lot of magic to you to give it some lighting like the space and stuff like that. It's still like very critical that you have that voiceover record like upfront for exactly that purpose of just having that actor pass. Otherwise, it can get really messy if your eyebrows don't make sense. Like they sounded a little more angry in the scratch record. And then they didn't sound that way in the final, <laughs> you know? It'll honestly, it'll save you time and money to do it ahead of time. Agreed. Um, if you can. Agreed. <laughs> so, highly recommended. I don't know if anybody's like getting the theme of this right now, but specifically in stat motion, your pre-planning is absolutely critical because once you start going, it's a snowball effect if things start getting undone. And it really just, what makes it cost more is just, it takes a lot of time to correct for those changes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something where, like, you know, a lot of people think stop motion is really slow. Mm. But actually... It's not. It's, <laughs> it's not. not slow. It's, you get so much in camera, but there's a lot of work that happens before you're in front of the camera. And if the work is correct, then you get it all at once in kind of this one pass or limited passes versus you know, a 2D pipeline that has a lot of layers to it or a 3D pipeline that has a lot of layers on the other side. <laughs> right, where you can keep like editing and nudging and changing and and that, that all adds time at the end too. But it's just like, because stop motion is more like one and done when you go to animate it, not that you can't change it after the fact, but because that's the intention, it just costs more time at the end if you really do have a change because it can be more noticeable if it's done oddly, I suppose. Anyway, okay, moving on. (laughs) To design, which is a lot of things. Yay, I love design. (laughs) Yes, it's my favorite. Lex does design. (laughs) We know this already. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, design can be 
for us, you know, it's character design, it's environment design, it's color keys, uh, layouts, which can kind of cross into production design for us, and prop design. So there's a lot to do there. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes also grouped into this kind of phase of production is this like research and development, which for stop motion, if you're defining a new style. <gasps> so exciting. It's so much fun. And like, if you can take the time to do it, it's like so fruitful. Yes. Because you define how you accomplish the look of something. That's the thing once we start talking about fabrication is you can make things a million different ways. Yes. And you can interpret those steps. There's so much room, but then you need to replicate it. So if you can take the time early on to figure out like, oh, you know, instead of, you know, flocking the grass, like what if we did this like dyed fur fabric and put like glitter in it and Mm, it looks really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not the glitter because glitter is evil, but I know it looks great. You would glue the glitter. Um, <laughs> the pro tip, glitter needs to be used sparingly in stop motion. Yeah, um, it goes everywhere. Quite mean. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of chatter. But I fully support all the things you just said, Casey. And also research and development is freeing and wonderful because you get to try new materials and try new techniques and see if you can make something a little bit more visually exciting than you've done it before. And it's it's really like a, quite a wonderful time of experimentation. And also, you know, trying to find ways of making that experimentation into a bit of a production line that, you know, hopefully is a little bit fun and not painful, you know, because you're probably gonna have to make a lot of whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you can make something that other people can replicate, you can make like a million little leaves, you know, instead of... Oof. No, you know, not like leaves. <laughs> no, I know leaves are a bad example. I was thinking of, um, oh, I was painful. thinking of that boat in uh, Kubo. Oh yeah, tiny paper. Bits. Which I think they did make a bunch of little leaves. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was cool. It is cool. It is cool. But yeah, that would take probably a very long time. Um, and that's another thing that you're thinking about in design is just how it'll actually be made. So like in your character design, it helps to have, you know, an understanding of the fabrication process or at least have someone consulting on it who knows like, oh, we're going to do ball and socket armatures for this, which mm-hmm. means, you know, we need some room in the knees. So if you're doing like skinny, skinny legs or something, yeah, that's yeah, not going to work. Legs. Or it's going to be really hard. So like, mm-hmm. it's just going to add time, you know, but time. time well, I think, I think in the design phase, You're always just trying to answer the questions of, you know, your director wants this or you're thinking this. So like, how do we get there? Or like, what does it absolutely need versus what do we want it to have? And then you're trying to like thread that needle. So you still have something visually exciting and wonderful, but it only supports what it needs to support. So that way you're not like overdoing it. Right. Totally. And that's like my production manager mind thinking yeah. of things. It's like you want to maintain as much artistic integrity as you can. Mm-hmm. And I think that's anim- that is animation in a nutshell is like it is artist driven. That mm-hmm. is the point. But something done is better than not done. Is better than not done. And it's kind of has to get done most of the time. So Yeah, usually, yeah, you'll be in big trouble if it doesn't get so, done. So yeah, you kind of have to, you know, I don't want to say pick your battles because that's not quite right. But keep things in mind, you know, decide what really matters um, and fight for those things. I think this is a, yeah, this is a good point where, you know, an art fundamental of like start with the broad strokes and then move to the details is how you want to be thinking about all things in terms of the animation pipeline. It's like, what are the things we have to hit 
because they're super critical to the story, to the tone, to whatever questions you're answering. And then it's like, and then how do we sprinkle in the fun stuff so that it stays engaging and beautiful and wonderful and like, you know, exciting to be a part of. I think another part of uh, character design, sometimes it takes on the form of 3D modeling. Mm. Um, So it's kind of converting what our sketches or maybe 2D designs into something closer to what it will actually be before you're actually in fabrication. So sometimes that'll be making a maquette out of clay or, you know, very likely at this day and age, it is a 3D model Mm -hmm. that maybe it gets printed. And then parted out. Yeah, you can just see it under whatever digital lenses. Yeah, and parted out, like, uh, in a lot of stop motion productions, 3D modeling and printing is very much integrated. So it just depends on the scope and also kind of the look that you're going for. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think that wraps up the pre-production phase of the stop motion pipeline. In our next episode, we'll pick up with fabrication, which in many ways has one leg in pre-production and the other in production. See you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the educational limited series, Hello Stop Mo, made in partnership with Animation Wildcard and the Ink and Paint Folk podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for any additional resources mentioned in this episode. And please subscribe, rate, and review to help us reach more listeners. Thanks to Ellen Coons and Lee Young for the music in this episode. This series is created and hosted by me, Alexis Dupre. And me, Casey Boland. And produced by me, Cassie Soliday. To learn more about the people behind this podcast, find us online. You can find me, Casey Boland, at CatalystCastleStudios.com or at CatalystCastleStudios on Instagram. You can find me, Alexis Dupre, at threadwood.com or at underscore threadwood on Instagram and at threadwood on TikTok. And you can find me, Cassie Soliday, at kassassi.com or at Cassie Soliday on Instagram and Twitter. You can find out more about the partners behind this podcast at animationwildcard.com and at animationwildcard on Instagram and YouTube. And the Ink and Paint Folk podcast is wherever you listen to podcasts and at Ink and Paint Folk on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Hello Stop Mo. Bye. Bye. Hello Stop Mo. Hello Stop Mo.